Before we get to today's show, I'd like to hear from you. This show is nothing without our listeners, and we want to make sure we provide you with what you're looking for. Our mailbox is open to all suggestions. So if you have a topic you want to learn about, or a guest you want to hear from, let us know by sending us an email to jagahealthandwellness at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-G-A-H-E-A-L-T-H-N-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S at gmail.com. Now, enjoy the episode. As the world gets louder and louder, the lessons of our natural world become harder and harder to hear, but they are still available to those who know where to listen. I'm Jerry Olette, and I was honored to serve as Ontario's Minister of Natural Resources. However, my journey into the woods didn't come from politics. Rather, it came from my time in the bush and a mushroom. In 2015, I was introduced to the birch-hungry fungus known as chaga, a tree conch, with centuries of medicinal applications used by Indigenous peoples all over the globe. After nearly a decade of harvest, use, testimonials and research, my skepticism has faded to obsession, and I now spend my life dedicated to improving the lives of others through natural means. But that's not what the show's about. My pursuit of this strange mushroom And my passion for the outdoors has brought me to the places and around the people that are shaped by our natural world. On Outdoor Journal Radio's Under the Canopy podcast, I'm going to take you along with me to see the places, meet the people that will help you find your outdoor passion and help you live a life close to nature and under the canopy. Today, that person is Nick Matusiak an award-winning butcher from Oakville, Ontario. On this week's show, we're going to learn about the difference between free-range and grass-fed, the legality of professionally processing wild game, and the science behind aging meat. So join me today for another great episode, and hopefully we can inspire a few more people to live their lives under the canopy. Welcome aboard to Under the Canopy, Nick. Thank you, Jerry. Oh, very good. Good to have you on. Now, Nick, can you tell us a bit about your operation? Uh, we're a, a small little, uh, uh, we have a small little storefront um, where we sell a bunch of fresh meats and uh, uh, like British goods, baked uh, small little pies, and we have a wholesale business on the uh the, the back end of things where we uh, we process uh, British goods like square sausage, uh, black pudding, haggis, deep links, pork links, uh, you know, the list goes on. And uh, we wholesale that all over uh, southern Ontario. Oh, interesting. So you mentioned haggis. Now, we get a wee bit of scotchiness because my father's mother's father was actually Scottish and he was a doer which is part of the McNabb clan. So you mentioned the haggis. What you make your actual make your own haggis and what's in haggis? Uh there well there's going to be beef, well it's all beef. Um beef, liver, 
there's hearts, there's kidneys, and uh, and then we put a bunch of uh, uh, oats in there, and then of course the 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 seasoning, okay. and that gets cooked. Uh, that gets cooked on the, uh, and then there's fat as well. What kind of fat you? Cooked. What kind of fat it's you put? All beef fat. All beef fat. Okay. All beef fat. Yeah. So it's yeah. tallow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that that gets cooked down for about three hours. Okay. And then and then we pump it all okay. into casings. And then and the big thing is 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 you put it in in what do you cook it in or what casings do you put it in because I think that's one of the the big things when they pipe it in right when they pipe in the haggis. Yeah, a lot of people think it's like sheep stomach or whatever, um, but we actually use like the the large lo- like the lower intestine. So it's, it's quite large, and that's, okay. uh, that's what we use, yeah. <laughs> All right. That's interesting in itself. So, Nick, you won a, this major award in the province of Ontario. Maybe, maybe you can kind of tell us about the award and how you won it. Uh, yeah. So the end of, our Ontario Independent Meat Processors started a, uh, <clears throat> a competition. I forget what year it was. Maybe it was 2015 or 14. Right. Um, you know, just uh, kind of, you know, get some awareness out there for for butchers. Because, you know, you hear it time and time again it's a dying trade. Yeah, it's, and, I, I imagine uh, it's like a lot. Try to get try to get more people interested in it. So when you have an award, it's something that people can kind of work towards. And and so you won this award. So tell us a bit more. Sorry to jump in on the other. No, that's okay. Yeah. So you know, I was uh, working away one day. And my, uh, at Helenda's Noshua and my, my employer at the time told me, he just got back from Niagara and he told me about it. Okay. And I was like, man, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. Like, I want to get into that one day. And, you know, a, le- a year goes by and the phone rang and, mm-hmm. uh, it was Richard Helenda and he, and he said to, uh, to me that I'm in, I'm up this year. So I was like, oh man. I got. I got to get my my stuff in order. Right. Um, but uh, you, I, I I hadn't. I didn't know the rules yet. So when I read the rules, you know, the first round. I mean, you can say it's easy only because you know what uh-huh. proteins you're getting. Right. So you can in in your head or on paper, you you can put put like a list together of. Uh, of your actions and what you're going to do okay. and how you're going to process uh, the, the part. Um, so that was easy for me. Yeah. Um, this, I mean, the hardest part is not to cut yourself because you cut yourself, you're out. Oh, really? <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you make it to the final round, that's the, that's the tough part. Um, not knowing what your, yeah. what proteins you're going to get. So okay. that's, so essentially, yeah, that's frightening. So essentially, uh, to, in the start of this, you, you get a, a, a side of beef or something that you know you're coming, and you're supposed to butcher the entire animal into the proper cuts that they want, or you decide what cuts or or how. That's right. You get you get a, a pork shoulder, uh, a, a leg of pork, and the pork loin. Okay, and you have to merchandise that, um, and I guess get the most value. Okay. And it, and it's going to be done. It's going to be clean cut and look nice as well. Right? They right. they judge you on everything. Okay. And uh, you know, the first year I entered, I I didn't make the cut. I think I was fourth from from the top. Okay. Uh, so only the top three go. And then my final year, I I got into the finals and um, 
yeah, and then 2018, I, I finally uh, uh, won. So, so that so you won what is called the Master Butcher. Is that what they call the the award that you received? Uh, just uh, Ontario's finest butcher. Oh, okay. Oh, Ontario finest butcher. Hence the name Ontario's finest butcher. Butchery in uh, Oakville, right? Oakville's finest butchery. Very, yeah, yeah. Well, very, yeah. very good. So yeah, so some of that. Now I get a lot of questions, Nick, about different things. So my son, for example, he now and he's he's hounding me. So is that grass fed or grass finished beef? The 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 burger that he wants me to pick up for him at a a, a farmer's market for him, and I I'm can you tell what's the difference or what's the big demand for grass fed grass finished or grass all the way? Can you kind of give us enlighten us a little bit about what's the, the the big draw for that for a lot of people right now? Well, grass fed is is strictly it's grass fed. It, it hasn't eaten anything else uh, over its lifetime, and then when somebody says grass finished. You know they're they're probably going to have grains or corn in their diet. Okay. Um, but in the last uh, uh, maybe like the last three months or so of its life, it uh, it does have it gets fed grass. Oh, I see. So and there's yeah. a quite a demand. I know that price wise per pound of grass fed, which is. And I have to have this discussion with them every time. I'm, is that grass fed, grass finished? Every time I'm getting it for them, no, it's grass fed from start to finish. They demand a higher price for that too, though, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. So yep. that's one of the big advantages from a butchery, or does it take longer to, to get to a, a harvestable processing size? Or is that some of the reasons that they, they feed it corn I- and grain and all the other things? I, I think a lot of people are turned off by like corn and grains in general, and they they just uh, is yeah. it healthier? I, I guess it is healthier to go all grass grass fed, but uh, me personally, I don't I don't think you can get the the same like juiciness and flavor that you can with a, a grain fed uh, uh, animal. Oh, so you you figure that it's juicier with a grain fed than a grass fed one. Yeah. I, I think so, yeah. Well, you are the uh, Ontario's finest, so you would know better than I would, that's for sure. Well, that just means I know how to cut it up well. <laughs> I mean, well, you would I see don't a lot. know all the science, but, but you're always learning. You're yeah. always learning. Well, you'd see a lot more going through your shop than I would see at the places that I go or what we pick up. So, uh, Nick, are you allowed to, to cut wild game? Like so, so, if some so if it, a deer hunter, for example, wants to get a deer cut up, are you allowed to process that deer at your facility or not? I, what are the rules on that? So the rules are pretty strict, and and being a uh, a provincially licensed uh, plant right. where we get inspected randomly uh, once, twice a week, um, you are allowed to. But there's a protocol you have to have in place, and you have to follow it. Um, because of cross contamination and uh, and stuff like that, like you don't know where that animal's been in the wild. Okay. You don't know if it's been bit by something and has some sort of, you know, even a rabies or something like that. You don't know. So if 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 you have a protocol in place, mm-hmm. yes, you can. Oh, okay. So, uh, and I think uh, if I remember correctly, you just have to have different cutting equipment. Is that what one of the 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 protocols were? 
Um, I mean, it would help if you have that much space, but you can, if, if, if you finish your day of processing your regular stuff okay. throughout the regular day and then hunting season comes, yep. you have to clean down your entire room okay. and then, you know, the animal comes in and you break it down, you, you finish it, you wrap it, you package it mm-hmm. and, and then it's got to go out the door uh, okay. basically. And then you got to do a full clean again. Like there can't be any, any traces or anything okay but as long as you have like a uh if you follow the protocol that you have in place that's mm-hmm. approved by the government you you shouldn't have any problems okay so in in your your shop there what about things like raised or farm raised buffalo or elk or red deer and or what do they call beefalo is that the same as wild or is that separate well it would be farm raised okay it would have to be farm raised, just like uh, any of the beef or yep. chicken or or pork that we bring in, right? So, okay. like you, you know, red tail deer is a, is a farm raised uh, mm-hmm. uh, deer, so okay. we we can bring it in. But I mean, the demand for that is is so little. Right. Um, you would have to bring it in, process it, uh, vacuum seal it, or or you can wrap it in the butcher freezer paper that has the uh, the wax lining uh, yes. works just as well. I actually prefer it because the vacuum bags do break mm-hmm. and then the clock starts ticking, whereas the paper is a lot more durable. And if you wrap it properly, you're okay. But yeah, there, I mean, you can sell that stuff. Okay. So you, you mentioned the, the clock starts ticking. When you're talking about a ticking clock, how long is that meat actually from the time it's wrapped? Is it good for, or should you freeze it or is it, how long does does it stay there before you should freeze it and that sort of thing? Well, I, I, I think the government has something in place. I think it's like six months. Okay. Six to eight months or mm-hmm. something. I, I can't remember the exact uh, number, but I mean, I've had stuff personally for 12 months or even longer. Okay. So so in the freezer wrap or the butcher paper wrap that has the wax, you're saying you felt that the paper wrap works better. Yes, if you wrap it properly, nice and tight. I yep. mean, you know, when you, you you have a deep freezer in your basement mm-hmm. and you want to go looking for something, you start shuffling stuff around. Right. Uh, those vacuum seals, unless you have like a, a really really thick gauge uh, um, yep. bag, it's it's gonna break, and then the air is gonna get to it, and you'll start to get that freezer burn. So freezer burn. I'm glad you brought that up. Is freezer burn bad for you, or what's the problem with freezer burn if you have some? And what can you just cut it off, and or is it good for scraps for the dog, or what? I mean, sure. I don't. I don't see anything wrong with it. It's just air. Okay. You know. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, Nick, tell me the difference. One of the big questions I get from a lot of people is the different grades of meat. What's the difference between A, double A, and triple A, and how? So does that come in, or does that because of the way you cut it, it gets that, or kind of explain that a little bit? No. So the the grades of beef are uh, the amount of marbling. Okay. So again, uh, the government has a uh, a requirement for an amount of marbling, uh, starting from. I mean, there's single A, but you can even get on graded beef, um, and then single A. There's there's hardly any marbling. You know, you get into your double A. There's a a few flakes of uh, marbling in there, and then triple A, it, it, you start to see it a lot more. Right, uh, and then uh, you get into your prime stuff, and that's just 
uh, that's that's where you want to be. If you're if you're gonna enjoy a steak once in a while, mm-hmm. once you know once a weekend, go for the prime stuff. Eat the best. So the marbling is basically fat inside the meat. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the higher that, uh, and okay, so then it cooks through better. So when you're yeah. talking about animal fat, what's when people are making sausages and things like that, and they mix animal fat with it, is it beef fat that they use, or I think they call that tallow, if I remember correctly, or is it? Uh, it all depends. It all depends on what uh, what kind of sausages you're making, mm-hmm. and like a typical pork sausage, you don't need to add any fat if you use the right uh, uh, muscle, like a, like a pork shoulder. That that makes the perfect sausage and. You know, to me, that that's the perfect sausage. But uh, if you're if you're gonna make venison sausage, like if you yes. get a hunter that wants to make like pepperettes or sausage, mm-hmm. you have to add in like almost fifty percent uh, uh, pork fat. Pork fat. Okay, because yeah. it's such low fat in say venison you're talking about. Yeah, it's so lean. It looks like single A beef. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. So, and you wouldn't use uh, tallow or beef fat in that case. It's always pork fat that you use in making the sausages, right? That's correct, unless yeah. uh, the hunter requests a mm-hmm. beef fat, but uh, I think you're you're going to end up using pork. Yeah. And casings for that, what would you use for casings to put the pepperettes in that you mentioned? Uh, the pepperettes, uh, I find a lot of people now are using like a like an artificial casing or a collagen casing. Okay. Um, if I went to make some pepperettes, I always went with the uh, uh, lamb case or uh, lamb intestines. So okay. they're they're a lot a lot smaller than a like a hog casing. Right. Um, and by the time you smoke it down, um, and it shrinks, I mean. Hmm. You know, you end up yeah. with a, a decent sized pepperette, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people listening, what the the fat that, that comes in now when you do say bird feeders and you mix up with bird seed and you see all these these blocks of of feed for birds that you can put in special feeders, they're using fat in that I believe and and how would you how would you go about processing that to be able to make your own bird feed uh, to to use uh, bird feed say from uh, from uh, beef uh, beef fat that you're cut off when you're doing your steaks. Yeah, so I when I worked for the the grocery stores, I remember uh uh doing that all the time and it was simply uh like uh beef suet, like kidney suet, the fat that is inside of the cavity of the animal. Right? Um that kind of holds like uh, well the kidneys and other organs in place. That's yeah. what everybody uh used and you would just kind of grab a bunch of it and you didn't cook it or anything you just kind of formed it into a a ball and then you would put it you would put it in like a netting that you would see roasts and stuff in sometimes right and then you just roll it roll it around in bird seed that kind of sticks to it and then you can hang the the netting and then the birds come oh okay so and you sell that sort of thing at your store do do butcher shops carry that on a regular basis i i've not gone in this way I, I I mean I have kidney suet that I sell for people that want to uh, like render it down and cook with it. Yes, right. but I don't bother making bird balls. Yeah, interesting. I know because a lot of people use they'll use um, tallow, which is beef fat, 
in soap making as well for a number of different processes, which is something a little bit different outside. Uh, I don't imagine you have ideas on how to make soap. I've made soap myself, and I have a number of other people that eventually be doing a podcast on soap making that to talk about that. But I, tallow was uh, the number one thing that was used in some of the soap processes. And uh, Nick, so has animal breeding changed the sort of of um, meat and the processing? Um, for example, limousine cattle would produce a different cut because it's a longer cow for your industry. Is that something that you've noticed over the time, that uh, the changing breeding habits are, of producing different strains of beef have, have changed the industry at all? I, I haven't noticed any difference. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I just wondered because no. I thought uh, I know that – we get all these charlets and all these different strains, and I thought, why are they producing all these? And I thought, well, maybe it's your industry that's seeing the benefit. Now, there are different cultures as well out there that use different parts of animals. I know when I was working with a, a group out of China, I brought a company called King Cold Ducks in for a meeting. And King Cold Ducks was selling all their duck tongues, gizzards, and feet that they could to China. And the interesting part about it was – King Cole is the number one duck producer from start to finish, from egg to packaging in Canada, maybe North America. That I couldn't tell you for sure, but Canada. Anyways, and they were doing two, two million ducks annually. So the people I had from China that were coming in to talk actually were talking and they checked in their province and the duck producer they contacted in China was producing 200 million ducks annually for that market. And that was just one producer. Not one producer here being the number one in Canada, the number one producer basically in a province in China. So you get different demands from different cultures. And I know things like chicken feet are something that's highly prized by a lot of the Asian cultures. Do you sell or do you have people come in for that? And uh, if so, how do they cook them? Yeah, I, I sell lots of chicken feet. I bring it in by like the fifty pound box, and uh, we sell lots. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, for a small little, uh, small little like new store, yeah, I sell quite a bit, and uh, right. even chicken bones, it's all boiled down for soup. Yeah. Um, even even Keen, that works for me. He's Filipino, and he he loves chicken feet. Okay. So yeah. So yeah. they use them in soup, but I know that um, they 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 stir fry them, sort of thing as well. I I'm not a I have not tried them, nor do I know how they process them, but I just know that there's a demand for them out there that a lot of, uh, well, in my case, uh, uh, our family has never had a, an opportunity to try them, but certainly so. Are there other things like chicken feet that you sell in the store that people would not normally think about? Well, I mean, all the, the gizzards, uh, like the hearts and, and uh, uh, the livers and stuff, we right. sell lots of that. Yep. Um, and and back to the chicken feet. I mean, dog food as well. Lots of uh, lots of uh, people out here uh, buy buy a ton of uh, chicken feet for their for their animals too. They're good for them. So yeah, I know one of the Lawrence. He sells um, what he does is he processes dog treats, and he will go when they're they're slaughtering animals and actually take the the lungs out and process it, dehydrate it and make lung treats for dogs. And chicken feet was another thing that uh, he sold a lot of people and, and things like smelt and things like that. So there's a lot of other uses. It's nice to hear that a lot of those things don't go to waste, that they're actually used in our society one way or another. 
Now, yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing gets wasted. Okay, here we're here in Lindsay, Ontario, with Rusty, who's up from California and visits us every year. And Rusty has been a faithful Chaga user for a long time. Rusty, maybe you can just tell us about your experience with Chaga. Well, I feel that it's had a significant impact on my health and well-being. Uh, I believe in what I'm doing. Uh, I think that Jerry is very knowledgeable on it. If he says something, I take that very seriously. Uh, he has you. spent most of his life in the healthcare field and uh, and certainly knows what he's talking about. And I like to be around people like that because that's what keeps me healthy. And uh, I'm 80 now, and uh, uh, I'm going to try to enjoy what I what I've created with the motorcycle and one thing or another, which will require that I live for at least another 10 years to get back what I've invested <laughs> in my health and wellness. So, so you're uh, seeing a, you're seeing a big benefit from it, an overall uh, healthy uh, environment. And when when you go back to California next month, you actually take it quite a bit with you back to California, don't you? Oh yes, we're going to be there for eight months, and we don't want to run out. Uh, so we take it back, and we take it every day. And uh, you know, I, I you know, I like I say, it's not a problem for me. Right. Uh, so how do you take it, uh, Rusty? I put a, a tablespoon or a teaspoon, rather, uh, in my coffee each morning. Okay. When I brew the coffee. Yeah. And I put it in as the coffee's brewing. I put that in with it. Oh, very good. And uh, I put a little bit of cinnamon in with it too. Right. And uh, then I I sweeten my coffee because take the bitterness, a little bit of bitterness. I use the chaga uh, and uh, uh, maple. Right mix very good uh that you make up for those that want to be well and stay well okay <laughs> well thanks very much we appreciate you taking the time and sharing your chaga experience with you and we'll make sure you have a safe trip back to california sure enough all right okay thank you jerry yeah thanks rusty thanks sir my pleasure <clears throat> we interrupt this program to bring you a special offer from chaga health and wellness if you've listened this far and you're still wondering about this strange mushroom that I keep talking about and whether you would benefit from it or not, I may have something of interest to you. To thank you for listening to the show, I'm going to make trying Chaga that much easier by giving you a dollar off all our Chaga products at checkout. All you have to do is head over to our website, ChagaHealthAndWellness.com, place a few items in the cart, and check out with the code CANOPY, C-A-N-O-P-Y. If you're new to Chaga, I'd highly recommend the regular Chaga tea. This comes with 15 tea bags per package, and each bag gives you around five or six cups of tea. Hey, thanks for listening. Back to the episode. So, so Nick, one of the things now, somebody who you spent some time with, Wayne, over at Buckingham Meats, he was, he was, and you spent some time working with Wayne, and I understand, oh, yeah. I understand you're quite the biker, or in some <laughs> cases, not quite the biker, and what happened with some of that stuff? <laughs> my, my biking, well, you know, I, uh, I, I, I've always been on bikes myself, and, uh, 
you know, as, as the internet grew stronger, you, you saw what was going on around the world. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you look at stuff like that and you say, Hey, I can do that. And, uh, I, I had another friend of mine who was interested in that style of riding that I got into. This is pedal bikes. Just, pedal bikes? Yeah. Pedal biking. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you have like five or six different bikes for different purposes. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, I don't have as much time as I, I used to just being an employee now being an owner. Right. I, I hardly have any time, but, uh, yeah, I used to ride a lot. Yeah. Wayne, some stuff. Wayne was telling me now one thing as well that, uh, and I, and I kind of led into that dogs and bones. Okay. Now maybe you can kind of give us a bit of a background on giving bones to your dogs and with the pros and cons and what should and should not take place. Can you kind of run us through a little bit of that? So fresh, fresh uh, chicken bones, like uncooked, are are okay for animals. And, oh, and I learned that at Buckingham. Yeah, oh. I I used to uh, when I was just a kid working for them. Uh, I remember on a Thursday, uh, it was a Thursday. Okay. Yeah, I I would have to grind like forty to fifty boxes of chicken carcasses right in, in the basement i would have to haul them all downstairs mm-hmm. grind them carry them all back upstairs because people used to come in on saturday and buy them this is this like we're chicken, talking like chicken bones just whole carcasses yeah carcasses oh, okay. just run through the grinder right and away you go yeah. and, and dogs love it you know it's when you cook a chicken bone that those bones turn into to razors and they can get lodged in their throat. Yeah, I had a friend, John Bell. Now, John, he's a he's the president of the Ontario Sporting Dogs Association, and that's what he would say as well, is that so long as they're not cooked, they, they're pliable and it's digestible and it's very positive for a lot of the dogs. So one of yeah. the things that, that Wayne was telling me was that when you first give a dog, say, a, a beef bone, a thigh bone or whatever bones you give from beef, and they're uncooked, of course, you only give it to it for a certain period of time in order to, and then take it away. And do you know yeah. much about how that works or the reasons why? Well, yeah, because the marrow is so rich okay. um, that if they're not used to that, you know, you're going to have a mess inside maybe. Okay. okay. <laughs> you know, so it's always, it's always best, you know, 10 minutes uh, on the first day and then take it away. That'll okay. teach your, your dog also who's boss. Right. And, and then the next day for another 10 minutes, Mm-hmm. And again, he's he's going to know who's boss, right? That's right. going to teach him some uh, some respect. Yeah. And then on the third day, generally you're you're okay to let let the dog go to town with that bone. Otherwise, the, because it's so nutrient rich that they end up getting the scoots or whatever we want to call it, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 So, Nick, question then. Now, one of the big questions is, what happens to aged out meats and what do them do? Because I go into some places and I see all kind of meat and all the counters and everything else. How long are they good for and what do they do with it after it's aged out or when does it age out? Well, so what I've learned, uh, uh, so I, I've worked in federal plants all the way down to little mom and pop shops like, uh, like Wayne, like yep. Wayne and, uh, Bill own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the grocery stores, they typically put a three-day um, expiry date on their fresh meat. So you cut it today, 
you know, it, it, it's going to be uh, heading out into the, uh, the bin Saturday morning okay. uh, type thing. And uh, even if it's still bright red, they, uh, they, mm-hmm. they make you throw it out. Now that's, that's been quite a, well, not that long since I worked for uh, the grocery stores. Um, but I hear it's still the same way. Right. And there's no reason why if you cut, let's say you cut a, like a, uh, an inside round roast and, uh, in, in a couple of days it doesn't sell. There's no reason why you can't cut that down into like Stubie. There's no, absolutely no reason why. Um, Okay. Because they, I, I don't believe grocery stores age their, their meat appropriately. And that's why nine times out of 10, you're getting a tough steak because they, uh, I believe, you know, as fast as it comes in and you cut it right away, right. it's going to look nice and bright red and it's, it's never going to discolor. Right. And that's just my take on that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but. So, hmm. I I, uh, I have a customer that uh, is uh, actually I think he owns a business and they're starting to uh, recycle meat and they're able to break it down and create it into energy. Oh, that's interesting. And I I think I think it's so interesting and I think they need to uh, start with the grocery stores because hey when I when I worked there I saw a lot of waste and it was uh, it was pretty sad. So well. I guess that's part of having the uh, the variety and the way that uh, our society operates. And slowly, as people are coming up with ideas. I know I mentioned about the one Lawrence. He's using products for that, and then another person was using a lot of the the wasted uh, meat or the stuff that was was going out was then processed into dog food for a lot. So it's good to see that those things are are not just going into the to the landfills, but there are alternative ways that they can be utilized. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Nick, how can how can the public at large support uh, the, the the beef industry or to make sure it's healthy all around? And not, I mean, just at your shop. Um, what can they do, or what things out there to make it a healthy industry? That's uh, that's a good one. So. Yeah, so a lot of times uh, making sure that uh, they ask questions and, and looking into it or <clears throat> they have the uh, the expertise like, <clears throat> excuse me, the people like yourself that have some expertise and ask those questions or, or you know, even things like small things like what do you do to tenderize the meat to make it even that more appealing to a lot of people, you know? Well, the thing about like if it's, if it's beef in general, I mean, uh, like I said, you you got to age that. Um, and then it becomes tender over time. Right. That was my first lesson. That was my first lesson. I, uh, I remember my first day on the job and my uncle, uh, uh, picked me up and he's like, well, how was everything? I'm like, oh, we're cutting super fresh beef. And he's like, yeah, it's not fresh. I'm like, what? He's like, ah, oh, it's gotta be like a month old before it's even tender. Yeah. Right. Um, well, I know one of the things I used to cut with the – he was the meat marketing director, and they used to fly him all across Canada to, to, to teach butchers in their, in their chain how to do specialty cuts. And one of the things that he showed me, because I went in and I wanted to learn more about it, was what they used was vinegar, and they would wipe – and when they wiped all on wild game – 
for deer meat and all that to get all the hair off and anything that might be there. They used warm white vinegar and wiped it all down. And, and Richard at that time would say that that helped tenderize the meat and start to break it down to make it that much more, have a, a much better taste and flavor to it. But I imagine there's a lot of other things that people can do to tenderize meat to, to make it more appealing. Yes? Uh I, I don't know. I've never heard of that uh, that process. Um, well, when you marinate, I know there's. <clears throat> go ahead. When you marinate and things like that, what, what's a good marinade to put it in? Honestly, I don't have any uh, meat time tenderizing uh, marinades here. I have marinades that will add flavor. Okay, um, but it doesn't it doesn't break down the the meat and make it more tender than it originally was. Oh, okay. Um, I just, uh, I, I watch like the dates and everything and I age it appropriately. Like when I go to a restaurant and I see, oh, it's aged 28 days. I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, that's not, that's not very long. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, Nick, uh, well, how can people get in touch with you? And if they have any questions to reach out to learn more about uh, the meat industry and, and from an award-winning butcher like yourself, how can we re- people just get in touch? I'll just, uh, you can email me at Oakville's Finest Butchery at gmail.com or come in and see the shop. And uh, I love talking to people. I love talking to, to people about the product that we offer. Um, yeah, so just come on down to Oakville. Well, I very much appreciate you taking the time and thanks for coming on, uh, Nick. Thank you. No problem. Thank you, Jerry. everybody, I'm Angelo Viola. And I'm Pete Bowman. Now, you might know us as the hosts of Canada's favorite fishing show, but now we're hosting a podcast. That's right. Every Thursday, Angela and I will be right here in your ears, bringing you a brand new episode of Outdoor Journal Radio. Hmm. Now, what are we going to talk about for two hours every week? Well, you know there's going to be a lot of fishing. I knew exactly where those fish were going to be and how to catch them, and they were easy to catch. Yeah, but it's not just a fishing show. We're going to be talking to people from all facets of the outdoors. From athletes. All the other guys would go golfing. Me and Garth and Turk and all the Russians would go fishing. To scientists. But now that we're reforesting and letting things through, it's the perfect transmission environment for Lyme disease. To chefs. If any game isn't cooked properly, marinated, you will taste it. And whoever else will pick up the phone. Wherever you are, Outdoor Journal Radio seeks to answer the questions and tell the stories of all those who enjoy being outside. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What brings people together more than fishing and hunting? How about food? I'm Chef Antonio Maleka, and I've spent years catering to the stars. Now, on Outdoor Journal Radio's Eatin' Wild podcast, Louise, Hooksat, and I are bringing our expertise and Rolodex to our real passion, the outdoors. Each week, we're bringing you inside the boat, tree stand, or duck blind and giving you real advice that you can use to make the most out of your fish and game. You're going to flip that duck breast over once you get a nice hard sear on that breast. You don't want to sear the actual meat. And it's not just us chatting here. If you can name a celebrity, we've probably worked with them. 
and I think you might be surprised who likes to hunt and fish. When Kit Harrington asks me to prepare him sashimi with his bass, I couldn't say no. So whatever Taylor Sheridan wanted, I made sure I had it. Burgers, steak, anything off the barbecue. That's a true cowboy. All Jeremy Renner wanted to have was lemon ginger shots all day. Find Eating Wild now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts.